Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. Back in 2014, I penned a post on Disney at Work about the 10 things I love about Disney's Hollywood Studios. This was before we started a podcast. At that time, the park was celebrating its 25th anniversary. I covered that original list and explained what I was feeling at that time during that major milestone event. But much has happened in the eight years since, and I'm here with a new list that has some old favorites and new delights. How do they compare? Well, number two on the new list may very well surprise you. Find out for yourself. Join us as we celebrate 10 things I love about Disney's Hollywood Studios. Make sure that you subscribe to Disney at Play.com so you are not only uh, made aware of upcoming podcasts and posts, but you can also check in on uh, the actual list. It's all listed there, the old list and the new list, lots of photos, links, and so forth. You're gonna wanna check it out when you uh, visit Disney at Play.com. So please subscribe. Well, the 2014, man, can you believe it? It was the 25th anniversary of Disney's Hollywood Studios. In fact, it had been renamed not long before that, as I recall. The image on that post actually shows uh, the studios from the very front across the lake, and you see the infamous Sorcerer's Hat. Um, that's one of the things that is long gone, and it wasn't on the 2014 list uh, back then, believe me. Um, the list that I made during that time does not appear to be in any ascending order, uh, but they were definitely top tens for that time. So let's walk through at that moment what I thought was really amazing about the studios during that period. First, listed was Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Still amazing and fun after all these years. How can you not love the music? How can you not respect the performances, the choreography, the stuntmanship? There are so many details. And if you love this film, you can't help but love this uh, really wonderful show that uh, brings out the very best in the stunts found in that franchise. Epic Stunt Spectacular, it's been a great show for so many years. Number two is the Brown Derby. This has always been my favorite um, restaurant, not just at Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's been my favorite restaurant at Walt Disney World and definitely anywhere in Orlando. This is the place to go for Cobb salad and grapefruit cake in a luxurious setting. Need we say more? Uh, just thinking about that. And of course, the decor. Let me tell you, this is dripping in old Hollywood with all of the caricatures of stars, many of which you wouldn't recognize, but they became such a part of the tableau of what was Hollywood in that heyday period. And uh, the, it, it's just a stunning, spectacular setting and you feel like you have truly stepped into a bygone era when you visit uh, the Brown Derby service. Terrific uh, food, fantastic. 
It's so different, unique. It is a special place to go. Number three I listed was the size. Well, my feet aren't as tired as they are when I walk the whole of Epcot or Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, in 2014, this park was a lot more doable, partly because much of the park at that time was uh, still uh, part of the, um, well, actually I have to say the backstage tour was coming to an end around that era, but the backstage tour, you got on a tram to go see, you didn't have to walk it through. A lot of elements at Disney's Hollywood Studios are spaces you walk that you weren't walking so many years ago. Um, and it was a much smaller footprint as a park. Um, so it was a lot more movable and I put that in as number three. Number four, Citizens of Hollywood. The best streetmosphere and improvisational street comedy this side of the Adventurers Club or either side. Um, since by 2014, that club had announced that it would no longer exist. Well, here's the truth. It doesn't appear that Citizens of Hollywood exists either. I'd like to see that change, but I haven't seen it. It feels to me like the budget for Citizens of Hollywood, and I hate to say this, but it feels to me like the, the budget for that kind of character performance has gone into the new Star Wars hotel. And um, as a result, uh, you don't have that um, that that level of entertainment. I'd like to see that change. I hope that change, I'm still crossing my fingers, but right now I've heard very little about the citizens of Hollywood coming back. And by the way, I have to tell you that I wasn't very good at just stopping and enjoying the show. Um, I, it's one of the things I have really come to regret as we've gotten through the other side of the pandemic. I wish I had stopped to smell the, the comedy because it was really solid. And anytime I did do it, I always laughed. I always found it incredibly entertaining. Um, so this is a mess and unfortunately can't be on my new list because it doesn't exist right now. Five, although I will say there's some things on my new list that, well, I won't get there yet. Number five, I put down neon lights, especially after a late afternoon thunderstorm glowing in the reflection of wet streets of Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard. It's beautiful. I'm actually reminiscing the very first time I visited Disney MGM Studios. It was... The January, uh, so that would make this, uh, it opened in May of uh, 1989. I came in January or early February of 1990. So the park had just, um, hadn't been opened a full year and Star Tours had just premiered. Um, it was the first major attraction to open after the park opened. I'll explain that a little later, but um and when I came, I, I, I had finished some work uh, doing a conference uh, nearby at a Hyatt, and I had taken my car, and I was driving to Disney MGM Studios, and the signs said, yeah, uh, completely booked, come back another time, so disappointing. Went over to Epcot and checked out the Wonders of Life Pavilion, 
and possibly Maelstrom while I was there. And then I somehow managed to get over to Disney MGM Studios. I'm pretty sure I drove over there. Uh, though there were boats, I think, at that time that, that connected you between the two. But um, when I got there, the the rains had peltered while I was inside Wonders of Life. And um, it, had, it had scattered the crowds away. And in its wake, the lights had come on early. It was about 4, 4.35 in the afternoon. The lights had come on early, and it just reflected in this this app in the glow of this post afternoon storm just so beautiful can't say enough about that in fact i'll be saying it again in a few minutes number six the great movie ride uh, i wrote at that time some may argue whether it needs an update and in fact actually it was updated with some things like a new film uh prior to its eventual close um, but as i noted in that original post. It's a well-done attraction showcasing everything from Mary Poppins to John Wayne to The Wizard of Oz. In fact, it's not just well done, it's great. It's not the well done movie ride, it's the great movie ride. Animatronics were, um, they looked a little tired, some of them admittedly, but others had, also maintained their being the best of the best. The Wicked Witch, the, the Munchkins. There were many characters, Mary Poppins, many that were really terrific. And, um, and you couldn't see a better assemblage of animatronics than you could, sophisticated animatronics, I should say, than you could on the great movie ride. And the whole feel of the movies and hooray for Hollywood as the, as the orchestra ramped up at the beginning of that attraction. That was such a great um, experience. And uh, I miss it terribly. Obviously not on the new list, but it is a great, uh, it is a great movie ride. Number seven, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. I wrote, perhaps the best non-coaster thrill ride ever imagined, probably the best themed attraction ever imagined. Well, I would still say it is one of the best themed attractions ever imagined. I would not say it's the best now, but don't miss it. It is, it is a solid solid attraction and and no better Tower of Terror, in my opinion, than the one we have here. Even Tokyo, as good as the Tokyo version is on many levels of detail, many, I still prefer this ride system that they have for this, which is a very different one than they did for the other three in California Adventure, Walt Disney Studios Paris, and even in Tokyo Disney Sea. This is the best designed um, of the of the drop attractions, and the details are just dripping. I used to take, and I've probably said this before, but it, when I was with the Disney Institute, I instituted tours before opening of this attraction. I have been on every floor of that attraction. I've been in the training rooms. I've been on all levels of the fifth dimension of the scenes that are shown and so forth at the top of the roof of this hotel, actually on the roof of the top of the tower uh, before it was sealed up after, um, I, 
I, yeah, I, it was pretty well sealed up after 9-11, I think. Um, it is an amazing, the detail and the thinking and the work behind this is truly one of the most, and it's just a beautiful hotel. It, 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 it is at the end of Sunset Boulevard. It is a great attraction. Number eight, Walt Disney, One Man's Dream. A fitting tribute to the man who started it all and the mouse that helped. I especially loved One Man's Dream back then because they actually showcased one of his two offices in the exhibit. That has long since moved on. There are other great exhibits. I love all of the models that Imagineers support and many of the things that were coming over the years from the new Fantasyland to um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. They were all profiled inside this attraction. Anytime the exhibit changes, it's interesting of my photos, and I have tens of thousands of photos. My biggest file of photos actually comes from this attraction because it has changed out so many times over the years, and I've, I've ended up with new images uh, to support it. So very, very cool. 50s Prime Time Cafe. I can't believe I named this as number nine. Um, again, they weren't in any order, but it was on the list. And I have to say, I love the setting and the Formica tabletops and the peanut butter and jelly shakes. Um, but as you well know, if you've heard some of my uh, recent podcasts, I gave a stunningly disappointing review to this restaurant in terms of its service about three, four months ago. And uh, I'll try to get a link um, up here on on the uh, Disney at Play page so you can refer to it. Uh, I, it is it is not on my new top 10 list. As great as the design of the restaurant is, and it is well-designed, as fun as the food is, it has a terrible problem with its service. It does not do comedy, and it doesn't do family. And family is at the center of the dinner table. So, again, uh, it was it was much bigger back then. It is not on the list now. And the last thing I listed was Star Tours. Great ride uh, that's now even better than ever. That's what I wrote at the time because it had been modified to add... Um, new scenes, and it has added even more scenes in the last eight years. Uh, I only hope, uh, I wrote this at the time, I only hope that an even bigger Star Wars galaxy is not too far, far away. At that point in 2014, there were a lot of hints about a new Star Wars land, uh, but none of us had any idea what that was going to look like, how it was going to shape up and, uh, and take place. I have to say, I don't have Star Tours. I don't have Star Tours on my new list. But if I were to put a number 11, I would still keep Star Tours because um, it just is a feel-good ride. One of the problems with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is they do not use the John Williams music enough. They use it on in given moments in the attraction, and you do get music in the cantina, but you really don't get that sense of arrival with the Star Wars music. That is a, I think that is probably the one defining thing 
that I do not like about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is that that is missing. But you feel it when the minute you walk off this attraction as you finish the ride, dun 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 dun, you know, you feel a light uh, kick in your step and you feel like you have just achieved something very special as you uh, disembark that attraction. All right, so now we move on to our 2022 list to see just uh, how we compare in that eight years since and, uh, and uh, the kind of things we've kept and the new things we've added. And in this case, we have created a list, uh, I've created a list in, a, in an ascending order. So see how many or how few are still on that list. Number 10, Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. You know, this is the only attraction left from the original Disney MGM Studios, the the big backstage on uh, the big backstage tour and post production tour that's gone, the animation studio tour that's gone, the great movie ride that's gone, Superstar Television, Monster Sound Show, all of those are gone. Indiana Jones didn't actually start on day one because they were using that theater. Uh, for some um, some of the dedication events and because they hadn't quite tweaked it. But within um, a couple of months after the studios opened, it did uh, open and was really part of the original ledger of attractions for that, uh, for that park. And it has remained ever since. And I know people have speculated left and right, maybe they'll take it down, put in the Indiana Jones ride. I'm not sure the Indiana Jones adventure is a better substitute. I wouldn't mind adding it as well. I wouldn't mind having an entire themed land based on Indiana Jones. That said, I, um, I just think this is a great show in and of itself. And uh, I'm glad that it's still here from the original days of Disney MGM Studios. Now, as I mentioned, Star Tours, as I talked about, that came in January, the following year, as I recall, maybe around Christmas time, they, they did some advanced openings, but it really came uh, the better part of a year uh, later. But Indiana Jones was really kind of there from much of the start. Number nine, the heritage of Hollywood. From Hollywood Boulevard, which really represents the 1930s, to Sunset Boulevard, which represents the 1940s, to Echo Lake, which harkens to the 1950s, uh, and, to, and then to Grand Avenues, which in my view kind of represents the 1960s to the present. Uh, there is story, there is meaning, there is detail in the architecture and placemaking of this park. From the moment you you walk in through the turnstiles to the crossroads of America with the Mickey on top, past the dark room, past each of those buildings on Hollywood Boulevard. They represent a part of Hollywood. There is history and heritage, the boat on the lake, Gertie on the lake over at Echo Lake, uh, the, the uh, Carthay Circle Theater on Sunset Boulevard. Even the Muppets edition in, as you get to the Grand, um, 
the Grand Avenue area of the park, which I thought was a very smart kind of transition to, to make that corner of the park uh, part of that uh, part of Los Angeles. At any rate, all of it has symbolism. All of it has meaning. I have written, uh, I wrote a major book called Disney's Hollywood Studios, From Showbiz to Your Biz. And I take apart a lot of these landmarks and talk about the history behind them and their heritage. There is a lot to study and I love the heritage of Hollywood. That's why I put it in as number nine. And adjoining that, I brought back in number eight, which is the Brown Derby. It is really that special. It's the best Disney restaurant on property and the best one in the entire Orlando area, in my view. And I have to say, um, I don't go there. I've probably dined there about 10, 12 times. Haven't dined there since COVID. And i I, it, it's simply for this. It is, it's an expensive restaurant, but I like to treat that restaurant as the place to go for special occasions and events, celebrating an anniversary or having a very special client in town. You know you're a great client if I'm taking you to Brown Derby. So um, it's that special and I just love that restaurant. Number seven is actually not in the park. But I think it's as important to Disney uh, Hollywood Studios as the monorail is to Epcot or Magic Kingdom. And that, of course, would be the Disney Skyliner. You know, it's really interesting. It's the first thing I see as I pull in to the parking lot. You could see it crossing from the studios on over to Caribbean Beach. And uh, it, it, just, it just connects that, that, that park to the rest of the resort. And I, I love taking advantage of parking at the studios and spending some time there, going over to World Showcase, or even going over to Caribbean Beach or Riviera. It just adds to the whole park experience. And I, I think the Skyliner is really a surprisingly great addition to not just Disney's Hollywood Studios, but to all of Walt Disney World. I love the Skyliner. And by the way, I'm a person with a little bit of a fear of heights and I don't like it too much when it stops. But when you get to that little station, that Art Deco station they have there at Disney's Hollywood Studios, the music that they've changed out at the front of the park has some upbeat Disney songs to it, done jazz style. And it's just, you just feel the energy and the vibe, the kinetic feeling of the Skyliner it's, it's just a terrific part of the experience and makes staying at resorts like Pop Century or Art of Animation or, or Caribbean Beach. Oh man, that just really makes it worth staying at those resorts. So I big thumbs up to the Disney Skyliner. Number six, this might be a little controversial, Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run. Now, I didn't add Star Tours, and in truth, this is Star Tours on, on steroids in some ways, but I want to back up to the attraction from not just the ride vehicle in the cabin itself, although I think there's a lot to like. Yeah, maybe hitting buttons isn't your thing, and I can appreciate that. Um, and maybe the fact that if you've been on it many times, you feel like you're in the same, 
experience again and again. So there's some, some downside of that. But let's back up. The first time you ever arrive at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and you see the Millennium Falcon. I mean, this is, this is the castle for, for Galaxy's Edge. And I tell you, it is such a signature presence to this corner of the park. It is the ultimate weenie for Disney's Hollywood Studios. And you and to see how people embrace, uh, I have seen people weep openly when they have seen the Millennium Falcon. You see families out there taking photos, grabbing images of it, just taking it all in, being a part of that whole ambience. And then you step into the queue. And let me tell you, that queue consumes every aspect of that Millennium Falcon it can do. It takes you around the bottom of, of, the, um, of that vehicle. And then it takes you up above that vehicle. And it, and it takes you into this really well-themed queue. I really think this is one of the best queues out there. Yeah. Smuggler's Run, I think, is one of the best queues out there. And then you board what seems to be the Millennium Falcon. You, you, you see the cabin. You get a chance to take a photo around the uh, hall, hall chest board or whatever that's called. And, and then you get into the, the whole feel of this. And the whole, uh, the, it is truly an amazing attraction that they have made this so that the flow of guests, that everybody can be in a little cockpit, you know, yeah, it's six people, but really that six people and you can move enough people through that attraction to do what it does. It is brilliant on many, many levels. It is dripping in details. I, I think that Smuggler's Run um, has not been appreciated. Now, I would love, I would love to see additional um, experiences added on. But trust me when I say that as is, especially if you've not done it, you must do the Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run. Number five, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Still one of the best non-coaster thrill attractions and best themed attractions ever imagined. The people who play the bellhops from TJ to the remainder of the cast, kudos to them for providing decades of tremendous performances in bringing people through a very complicated attraction. It was really one of the most complicated attractions ever built for that time, only to be outdone by what will be number one, and you can guess what that might be. Um, and uh, love to see it at night. By the way, Love the projections on it. I don't think it was it should have been the, the headline for the 50th anniversary. But whether it's the holidays or whether it's the 50th anniversary, I do really love how this tower comes to life at night and some of the details that the projections uh, place on it. And even when it's just simply the standard tower draped in its purple, and it's, it's, it's just an amazing place. At night, which brings us to number four, nighttime. Yeah, nighttime. That's, and it's, and I'm putting this really high up here. Um, whether it's the neon lights up along, which I mentioned earlier, up along Hollywood Boulevard and Echo Lake and Sunset, 
Or maybe it's the Christmas lights during the holidays. Love how they have put the Christmas tree from the front in the at the entrance of the park into the middle of Echo Lake. Love that. Love the big Christmas lights that light up Toy Story Land. Not a big fan of that land, but if there's a time to love it, it's at night. And then don't forget the cliffs of Batu lit in blue at night. Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire Outpost, Batu, call it what you want. At night, you are missing something if you are not just grabbing some blue milk and taking it all in. It is such, it, it changes from day to night and in a, in a way that is just stunning and beautiful and immersive. It is, it is to Disney's Hollywood Studios what the canyon at night is at Radiator Springs at Disney California Adventure. It's all that and more. And I just, I love being at Disney's, and I usually am there in the evenings because that is the best time to see that entire park lit up. And then you add the holidays and it is just, it, it's irreplaceable. Number three, hmm, maybe a little controversial for some. The Chinese Theater and Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Now, remember, I did mention the great movie ride, and it would still be on this list if it were still here. However, in this instance, I have put these two together. So consider the following. The Chinese Theater at the end of Hollywood Boulevard is emblematic of just that. Hollywood. It is the perfect symbol of Hollywood. Mickey and Minnie are emblematic of Disney. Together, Hollywood, Disney, it's a great combination, especially as the centerpiece of this of this uh this park. And mind you, I again, I miss the great movie ride. I would have loved to have seen this revised and then this attraction moved somewhere else. But it is here, and it's a great experience, and you would be missing out Disney's Hollywood Studios if you didn't take in this attraction, especially now that it's been restored, the special scene as you watch the movie at the beginning, as you enter into the experience. It's quite fun, and uh, I love it. And uh, yeah, I put it in as number three on my list. Number two, and by the way, I would just say, uh, I'd also welcome seeing scenes changed out on this. If you're going to use projection technology, change out scenes. And if they can continue to do that, I think that is going to make it even, even funner. And there are several places where it could, I'd never, I, there are a couple of places where already you could change out the scene and, and it wouldn't be that hard to do. Number two, this will surprise you. Phantasmic. I am banking that the 2.0 version of this may well be better than the original Disneyland version. Well, let's hope so. Now, let me just, in all fairness to Fantasmic, let me tell you where I'm at and how I'm feeling about this. I saw this show actually before I saw the Disneyland one. Most people who have seen both saw the Disneyland one first. 
there is a lot to like about the Disneyland one because it is such an intimate space and they are able to just bring some really great elements like the Mark Twain and the Columbia sailing ship all together in one very small space. So it does what it does very well. But it is a pain to go to the Disneyland version, to stand around in a tight little square uh, and, and wait out for an hour, hour and a half for the show to start. That is just not... That is not something I go for. I love the fact that they have a big, big dedicated theater. I have used the spaces up above for dessert parties with clients. That is a great, have a dessert party in Fantasmic. That is a great option to have. I have walked the island. I have been backstage on stage, the costuming area. Lots of attention to detail. The problem is, is some portions of the show have been, yeah, they've been problematic. And Pocahontas, yeah, I'm looking at you. As much as I welcome the heritage of Pocahontas, which began as a show on the backstage tour before it kind of moved on in a different form to Disney's Animal Kingdom back in the days of Camp Minnie Mickey, um... It needed replacement badly. I, I, There's still some elements I wouldn't mind keeping from it, but it would be a small fraction of that total sequence. Meanwhile, you have other new elements such as Moana, but they're looking at other possibilities of such as Mulan or Frozen coming in as part of this. This could be really not just amazing with projection technology as it has evolved. It could be it could trump the Disneyland version. And I'm banking that it will be. Got to see what that dragon looks like still. But maybe it won't be the dragon. Maybe it will be something. I don't know what it's going to look like. I had hoped that as Guardians of the Galaxy opened um, and during Memorial Day, we would see a return of this. Uh, recently, just a couple of days, BioReconstruct, who had shown photos several several weeks ago, of the moat filled in, just showed another image on Twitter of the moat being emptied out again, which is which is disappointing because it makes it look more unlikely that the show is going to be back in order by the first of summer. However, it does show, in my view, that they are paying attention to addressing so many details that come with that fountain show and all of the elements of it. So I'm I'm a little patient to see how this all plays out. And I just believe that Fantasmic may just be one of the best shows on property to see and that it's going to be. And by the way, I it's uh, a lot of people don't know or remember that Fantasmic opened on the 75th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. It, opened that very same week. In fact, I went on the day of the anniversary. It was also my birthday because I celebrate my birthday on the same day. Everybody knows D23, but I'm also born on October 16th, which is the day that the company was organized. Um, so this show is actually going to be 25 years old next year. It needed an update. I think this is it, and I'm very excited. Um, I am banking. I'm banking, betting 
that this is going to be a great show when it reopens. Well, that brings us to number one. Probably not a surprise to you. It is Rise of the Resistance. In my view, the best new attraction built in a Disney theme park since the original Pirates of the Caribbean, which just never in in my view has been uh, improved upon as well as the original Disneyland version. But this attraction, this attraction is an amazing experience. You feel like you are going up to a Star Destroyer. And it's so amazing because when you arrive at the entrance to this attraction, there is very little that suggests what is really going to unfold in the time frame you are on this ride. Or many rides, because there are multi-ride vehicles that take you through this entire experience so cleverly designed, so complicated, which is why it often has breakdowns, but so so breathtaking. When you step onto the Star Destroyer, that is just one of my favorite moments. I step back in the in the back of the ship to watch people facing the other direction, thinking they're going to go off the other side of the ship, only to turn around and be greeted by, by a, a huge army of stormtroopers and and deep space as they step onto the Star Destroyer. That is one of the quintessential uh, Disney theme park moments is stepping on that Star Destroyer. And then it just builds there as you board your ride vehicles and you go past the AT-ATs and, and the cannons and you try to escape this ship and you do. And it's just so amazing. I love Rise of the Resistance. I, I, I couldn't even have imagined that attraction eight years ago when I was building my first list of 10 things I love about. And that, mind you, it sits in the footprint of what is essentially the old uh, Lights, Motors, Action uh, attraction. Man, it, <laughs> you, just, you could never have imagined when you were watching that, that show back then what that same space could eventually become and it has truly uh, created the whole star wars uh galaxy's edge experiences is terrific but rise of the resistance truly rises to the top well hey that is my 2022 list join me in 2030 when i review the list i hope i've got some new fun ones to put on that list i hope phantasmic still survives uh, on that list when it gets there. I know the Brown Derby will. And uh, and maybe Indy jo Indiana Jones as well. So, so thank you for joining us for this Disney at Play podcast. Uh, we hope that uh, it has reignited your love of Disney's Hollywood Studios. Remember, uh, check out our own... Uh, little place called the Wayfinder Society. It's our Patreon group where we allow you to celebrate and sh uh, support this podcast and all that's involved there. So come check that out and, and come join us over there. And in the words, finally, of, uh, of uh, Sinbad's storybook voyage at, at Tokyo Disney Sea, always remember, follow the compass of your heart. 
Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. Maybe even at the movies. <laughs>